as he addresses the church at Galatia in the third or the fourth chapter rather of this book. Um, Paul is led of the Spirit in this Galatian letter to draw some interesting uh, ideas from Old Testament scripture and the history uh, of the nation of Israel and God's calling that maybe were not something that the Jews had ever considered or certainly that we would think about, but he shows us how God in the Old Testament scripture and his dealings with his chosen people um, painted some images, some pictures, an allegory for us to consider as we walk as Christians, as we consider our identity that we have in Christ. Uh, just jumping into the text in the 22nd verse of this fourth chapter, we read, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. There's a whole lot built into this text, a whole lot to consider, but the lesson as it's being applied is written to a church of New Testament believers who are struggling with the basis of their identity and struggling with how it is that they are to live in an ungodly world. The church at Galatia had fallen into a dependence upon the works of the law and obedience to the law to find their identity as Christians in the world. They felt that if they came up with a course of works that were required for all believers, a prescribed pattern of living, and if everybody was to abide by that, then they could be certain that they all were Christians and were walking according to the commands of Christ. And the apostle is led to write to them to deliver them from what he calls bondage. And in doing that, he hearkens back to the Old Testament scripture and the history of how it was that God called his chosen people first out of Ur of the Chaldees when he called Abraham and then uh, through Isaac saying, and Isaac shall thy seed be called, and then ultimately through Jacob and on to the children of Israel. But in doing that, what he does is he, to these believers, many of whom were Jewish believers, they were people who were of the house of Israel and valued their heritage and their calling and their choosing as a nation, he says to them, you, your nation, are like Hagar and Ishmael. 
you are a people that are the bondwoman. And your service, your acts of service, your way of approaching to God and his law is very much like that of Hagar and of Ishmael. It is of a bondwoman, not of a child, not of a, a bride, not of a wife. And he draws a clear distinction between the Old Covenant, which he says is bound up in Mount Sinai and is represented by Hagar of the Old Testament story, and what he calls Jerusalem, which is above the New Covenant, the covenant we have in Christ Jesus, the the greater, the fuller revelation in Christ. And he says Jerusalem, which is above, is free which is the mother of us all. He goes on to reach back to Isaiah's prophecy and say, this is what Isaiah was talking about when he said, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. The children of the barren woman are more than of she which hath an husband. And then he says, we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. The lesson being brought forth here and that we all need to understand and embrace is our identity is not found in the things that we do, but in who we are. We are the children of promise. We are the children of God. And really what this does for these Galatians and for us today is it takes these these doctrines that we profess to believe in, the doctrine of election, the doctrine of adoption, and it brings them very much to home and applies them in a very real way. Understanding that God chose a people and that he sent his son to die for a people doesn't have very much bearing on who I am on my life until it's applied in this way. And here he says, my identity in Christ is not found in the things that I do but in who I am. And he ties it here to this concept of birth, this new birth. Notice in our reading this morning what he said. He said, Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondmaid, the other by a free woman. He who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Now, if you're familiar with the story of the birth of Ishmael and later of Isaac, You'll remember that Abraham and Sarah were old and they had no children. Sarah was barren and Abraham was an old man. And God promised him a son. God said, you're going to have a seed that the whole world is going to be blessed through. And time rolled on and there was no child born. And finally, talking to Sarah one evening, I assume an evening, one time he and Sarah were gathered together. They were talking about this promise. And Sarah says, you know what? I can't have a child. And for God's word to be fulfilled, you need to have a son. I've got a handwoman. I've got a handmaid. I've got a woman named Hagar. If you take her into you, she can bear a child, and that child will be this promised seed. And that was natural reasoning, right? That was natural. It was understood Hagar is of a childbearing age. There's no reason she can't bear a child. And Abraham goes along with the plan, and Hagar uh, Hagar bears a son, and that son's name is Ishmael. And from the moment of his birth, what happened? Sarah was jealous of this very child that she suggested bringing into the world, according to nature. And nothing good came of it. The Bible refers to Ishmael, what? As one who was a mocker. 
the term mocking Ishmaelite has come into the world talking about this man Ishmael who was born according to nature. So what was unnatural about Isaac? Well, Sarah was past childbearing years. Not only that, she was barren during the time when she could have naturally born a child. But God promised Abraham he was going to have a son. And in fact, the Lord came and met with Sarah and Abraham on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah to to meet out his wrath against those cities. And at that time, he reiterates the promise to Abraham. You're going to bring forth a child and Sarah is going to conceive and bring forth this child. And Sarah laughs. She laughs in the very face of God and says that can't happen. And what happened? Well, she conceived. A child was brought into the world against nature, not according to nature, not according to the flesh, but according to promise. The reality is that everyone born into the world is born according to nature, is born according to the flesh. And that fleshly birth, it's important, it's necessary, but it doesn't bring us into a relationship with God. As a matter of fact, we're born into enmity with God. We're born into a sinful flesh that is hated by God. Abraham had two sons, one according to the flesh, the other according to the promise. Paul, by inspiration of God's Spirit, says this is an allegory pointing to exactly what we experience and see today. There is that which is naturally born, and that's everyone that enters into the world. But there's that which is a child of promise, and for that child there is a spiritual birth. We've looked together in the past where Jesus introduced this concept to Nicodemus when he told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, except he be born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. New birth is necessary. In Peter's first epistle, he addresses the same idea. Peter, in his epistle, is writing to a scattered group of believers scattered across the Roman Empire at a time when Jerusalem is under siege and the Christians have fled the city and their their identity is in question. They're doubting who they are and what they mean and what their purpose is and how they're going to move forward. And Peter addresses them with the gospel, telling them, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Get your eyes off your current experience. Get your eyes off your identity in the natural Israel. Get your eyes off of everything that's concerning you and hope to the end, recognizing Jesus Christ is coming again. Hope in Christ, a message we all need to remember. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. This is the same message Paul has for the Galatians. Don't fashion yourself according to the former lusts. Don't live the way you used to live in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. 
The apostle writes here and he says, your identity is in Christ, so be like Christ. As he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. Be like your father. And if you call on the father, that is your father, who judges according to every man's work, then spend your time here on earth. Pass the time of your sojourning in fear for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. What's he saying there? He's saying live your life with your eyes focused on heaven and God and who he is and be holy as he is holy. Don't focus on the things of the earth because it wasn't gold and silver that redeemed you. And if you pursue wealth, if you pursue power, if you pursue privilege and esteem of men in this life, you're not pursuing anything of real value, nothing of eternal value, because those things can't redeem you. They can't buy for you the thing that you need. Because you weren't redeemed with those corruptible things, you were redeemed with something incorruptible. You were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You weren't redeemed from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Where's your identity? It's in Jesus Christ. Where's your hope? It's in God. So live a Godward life. Live for Him and live in accordance with His Word, recognizing that He is the one who has given you that identity. Again, your identity is not in the things that you do, but in who you are. And you're purchased by His blood. So do what? Act like it. Live like it. He goes on, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Seeing you have purified your souls. He's assuming that you've understood this idea and you've sought his righteousness. You've desired to be holy as he's holy and you've begun this course of purifying your souls, what we call sanctification. Seeing this is the case, See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Where's the pure heart come from? Well, that heart has to be revitalized, invigorated, purified by the Spirit of God. Being born again. That child of bondage, the child of the bondwoman, he was born according to the flesh, naturally. But Isaac, the promised seed, was a child of promise. Born of the Spirit is the idea brought forth in that allegory. Here he says, being born again, not of corruptible seed. Don't spend your life serving corruptible things because you weren't redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold. You weren't born of a corruptible seed. For the Israelites who are confused about their identity as they're seeing their nation destroyed around them, 
The apostle is writing by inspiration saying it's not your identity as a natural child of Israel that has brought you into relationship with God. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Incorruptible seed. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ himself. You're born of that which is incorruptible. In the Corinthian letter, the Apostle Paul writes in the 15th chapter, and he says what? He says, there is that which is corruptible, that first man Adam was corruptible, and that was revealed in the sin that he committed, and that he passed down to all of his progeny. But then there is the second man Adam, a quickening spirit, an enlivening spirit. And he says, Jesus Christ, he is incorruptible. Here the Apostle Peter writes by inspiration and says what? Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Jesus Christ, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. There's something that happens in the life of every child of God. And that is what we refer to as the new birth or regeneration. And that's a, a work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus describes it there in John chapter 3. And what does he say about it? The wind blows where it listeth, where it wants to. You hear the sound of it. You can't tell where it's going or where it came from. But the Spirit moves and the Spirit quickens and the Spirit brings life. And where life is given, an effect is made. And that effect is indelible and that effect is permanent. And notice how it's worded here. As he says, you're born not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. There's something imparted when the spirit quickens, when the spirit gives life. And that is a knowledge, an innate knowledge that can't be taken away. A knowledge of God's Word that lives and abides forever. There are things given that cannot be taken. James writes in his epistle, and he refers to the engrafted word. A word that is implanted, a word that is communicated, a word that cannot be taken away. By the word of God which liveth and abideth Forever. So where is your trust going to be found? He reminds us of Isaiah's word in Isaiah 40. All flesh is as grass. All the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. The Spirit imparts life. The Spirit imparts knowledge. That knowledge recognizes truth when it's presented. So this work of God is an ongoing, it's a continuing work. And it begins in regeneration in this giving of life. And that's where our identity is found in Christ. We are His. We are His children. We're no longer a child of the bondwoman. We're a child of promise. And that means we're called to a higher calling. We have a higher purpose. And our identity is not based in the things that we do or the things that are required of us. Our identity is found in Christ. And for that sake, 
We do the things that he teaches. The Galatian letter goes on and doubles down on that principle in chapter 5 where he begins, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. And in the, in the ensuing verses of that chapter, he says what? He says you don't do things because they're commanded of you. You do things because the Spirit of God is compelling you to. You don't serve God because it's required of you. You serve God because you want to. Because you're following the leadership of His Spirit. Well, how do you do that? You're born of the Spirit. And here in Peter's writing, he quotes this Old Testament text which says essentially this, don't trust in men and don't trust in the identity of men and the power of men and the commands of men and don't trust in the kings that rule over you or the governors or the leaders because they'll all let you down because all flesh, it's like the grass of the field, it withers, it decays, it falls away. But rather trust in the word of the Lord. Why the word of the Lord endures Forever. And he adds a verse here. A New Testament verse to this Old Testament text. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. You remember in Romans chapter 1 as Paul talks about his desire to preach the gospel to those who are at Rome also. He wants to preach the gospel everywhere to all men. Why? Because he wants all men to be as he is. He wants them to be affected as he's been affected by the gospel which is preached unto you. But what does he say? He says this gospel, this word of God, is communicated from faith to faith. You see, there's something communicated in this work of the new birth. There's a knowledge imparted. Communicated by the Spirit of God, a knowledge that recognizes truth. This concept is presented also in Jeremiah's prophecy, Jeremiah 31. What does he say? He says in this new covenant, it's not going to be the way it was in old times where every man said to his neighbor and every man said to his brother, know the Lord. Why, they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And what does he say about the word of God? You're not going to teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. They'll all know me. I'll take my laws and I will put them in their hearts and I'll write them in their minds. Does that mean you don't need to read the word of God? No, quite the contrary. But when you read the word of God, you're going to recognize the truth of it. You're going to understand it because it's going to, it's going to resound with what is inside you, what's been given you by the spirit of God. Paul doubles down on this precept as well. Remember in the, uh, the Corinthian letter, what does he say? He says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. He can't understand them. He does not receive them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. The natural man can't receive them. But the child of promise, he does receive them. Why? Because he has, as Paul says, the mind of Christ. <coughs> The confusion of the Galatian church was not understanding the difference between that which is natural and that which is spiritual. The idea was it's easier to deal with things we can understand, we can comprehend. And so many churches today are caught up in that same issue. We want a God we can comprehend, we can understand. We want a theology that makes total sense, that we can figure it all out. And we want an application that's essentially a checklist. 
a method of service, a rule book. That's what the Galatians wanted. They wanted a list of things we have to do in order to be secure in our identity as the children of God. That's all they wanted. The problem was they were all a little bit different. There were Jewish members and there were Gentile members. And the Jews were comfortable in their Jewish skin. They wanted to know that keeping the law of Moses was the rule they had to follow because they were familiar with it culturally. We're not going to eat any meats that are unclean. We're going to circumcise our children on the eighth day. We're going to follow the laws we're used to. But there were also some Gentile believers in the church. And those Gentiles, they were used to eating meats that the Jews didn't like. And they were used to not circumcising their children. And they, they were used to living a different lifestyle than these Jews were comfortable with. It created a problem. It created a tension. And often today in churches of various sorts and denominations and identities, that's where the problem arises. We're not all comfortable with the same ideas, with the same things. We all have different cultural identities and different, different things we're we're feeling good about and things we don't want to change. And if the service of God is about establishing a fixed rule for every aspect of life, ultimately it comes down to what we all individually prefer. That's not good enough for God's word. God lays down the rule. And God sets the expectation. And the principle of scripture is this. Our identity is not in what we do. It's in Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ has quickened us, if he's given us life, if he's imparted to us his mind, his ability to comprehend, to understand, if he's communicated to us his word, then all the answers are found in the word of God. And we don't need an extra rule book. And we don't need men to come between us and God. What we need is to faithfully seek his spirit and to follow his precepts and to trust his word. And that's the principle upon which the church of Jesus Christ is built. There's great liberty. There's great freedom. That's the crux of the Galatian letter. Galatians chapter 5, that's what he says. He says, you are called to liberty. But don't think that liberty is an occasion for sin. Quite the contrary. That liberty is a freedom to serve Christ in fullness. To serve Christ in a way that no one under the law ever was able to do. To serve Christ in accordance with his perfect will as revealed in his covenant. So back to our text here in Galatians chapter 4. The apostle writes and says, This is an allegory. Which things are an allegory? These are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage. Earlier in this book, he says this, The law, it was our schoolmaster. It was given for a purpose, and the purpose was to show us our inadequacy, our inability to show us our need. It was our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Why? Because Christ is the answer. It's an allegory. 
The bondwoman is Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. And Agar answers to Jerusalem, which now is. Agar is what it is the Jews were finding their identity in, their service, their Jerusalem. But Jerusalem above, which Jerusalem which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. And Jerusalem, which is above, is free, free to grow, free to bring forth more children than were ever found under the law, and free to bring forth more glory, more praise to Jesus Christ. And this is the Jerusalem of which and to which Jesus Christ was speaking when he said what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Why? Because this is the word of God, which by the gospel is preached unto you. This is the expectation. This is the promise. And this is the identity that's found in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. Thank you for your attention this morning. I pray the Lord's blessing on his word as we consider this freedom we have in Christ and this identity we have in him who has called us. Let's pray together. Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to look together into your word. Father, we ask that you'd be with and bless us as we continue in your service this morning. Father, as we sing hymns, cause us to reflect upon those words and make them our own. Make them songs of worship and of praise and of thanksgiving. Father, receive our prayers that are lifted up, and Father, as we continue to look to your word together, apply it to our hearts and to our lives, and Father, help us be what you have called us to be, work your work in us, and conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.